Welcome to the Mountain Park Church Podcast. We're excited to share this week's message with you. Our mission is to allow God to work in and through us, and we'd love to hear your story of how God has been working in or through you. Email us at mystory@mp.church and tell us how God has been working in and through you. Hey, Mountain Park family, welcome here today. It is great to be with you, to see you, for you to hear me wherever you are, whatever you're doing, welcome. If I haven't had the chance of meeting you yet, my name is Andrew and I'm the lead pastor at Mountain Park Church. Uh, I'm just gonna dive right in today into our text. If you have a Bible with you, uh, I'd love for you to grab it, open it up to the New Testament, the book of Ephesians. We're in Ephesians 4, and I'm gonna read a couple of verses for context, but our text today is specifically Ephesians 4, um, verse 3, 4, and 5, I believe. Uh, so, but we're gonna start in verse one, just for some context. So Ephesians four, verse one. Therefore I, uh, this is Paul speaking, therefore I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort, okay? So this is what we're queuing in on today. Making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace, there is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. So we're here at this midway point in the book of Ephesians. And so far in this book, Paul has covered some, some really big ideas and concepts. And overall, what we've been discussing as we've studied this book is that Paul is really teaching us about the spiritual realm and the natural realm. And, and his overarching premise in this whole book is that the spiritual and the natural realm uh, coincide together, they interface together, and you can't separate them. You can't separate what happens in the spiritual realm from the natural realm. There is a spiritual realm, and it's active, and there is a natural realm, and the two of them are interfaced together. He's talked about who God is. He's talked about who we are, and he's talked about what God's plan for us is. He's talked about who Jesus is and who the Holy Spirit is and, and what happens um, through Jesus, the offer of salvation. He's talked about the reality that because of Jesus and through the Holy Spirit, we have direct access to God. And he's covered these big, lofty, high ideas, and now he's working into ethics, which is how we live. The apex of this book um, we are in, uh, but actually the high point, I think, of the book, which would technically be, I guess, the apex, but whatever. You know what I mean. The high point of this book is actually in Ephesians 6, where he's talking about spiritual warfare. But I think what Paul is working through here systematically is the reality that we will not be effective in walking uh, in spiritual authority and in victory in our life if we don't actually address these issues he's confronting us with 
in chapter four. And specifically, they are issues of our character, our inner person, our heart, our inner life needs to be set in order first before we begin to actually walk out the calling of God on our life. You have a calling on your life. I have a calling on my life. God has created you for a specific purpose and reason. You are here for a specific reason. God knew it before he even created you. Before the foundations of the earth, he knew who you would become and why he had created you. He, you have an assignment and a calling from God. And what Paul is saying is as we begin to walk out the calling and purpose of our God, the first thing we need to address is our inner life. That's why he says, I wanna urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. And he goes on to talk about gentleness and humility. We've talked about those things. You can listen to them in messages past. But then he goes on to say that we are to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. I've called this message possessing peace, partly because I, I want to draw a contrast to the lived experience of many of us today. It's 2020, and we are living through a time in our world and global history like we've not seen before. There is unrest everywhere. There are um, violent protests happening right now across the United States and all over the world. There's people that are living in unrest in different countries of the world. But more than that, we're living in a, in a season and in a time where we have so much inner turmoil and conflict. And maybe you can identify with that. That's what I love about the Bible is it has practical application for us today. Paul knows that the pull of our culture, the pull of sin, the pull of our flesh that he talks about in Ephesians 2, the pull of the kingdom of darkness is a pull in our life toward turmoil and conflict and strife, one where our very heart and our soul are in uh, conflict and anguish, where we feel like there's a storm raging inside of us. And maybe you can identify with that. Maybe you often feel maybe like there's a storm raging inside of you. Maybe like me, it just takes 30 seconds on Facebook or Instagram or turning on CNN or whatever to, to have this stuff. You may not even know what it is, but this stuff worked up inside of you. And maybe you are sitting there going, I don't know what peace feels like. I don't know what it feels like in my family. I'm not experiencing peace in my marriage. I'm not experiencing peace in my workplace. Certainly not experiencing it when I scroll through my feeds or hop onto Twitter. I'm not experiencing it in my relationships. I think those of you um, like me who have been um, a follower of Jesus for a long time would say, hey, well, we don't experience a lot of peace in the church itself. Our relationships in the church are strained and fractured. Our relationships at home are strained and fractured. We're, we're, we're a society that's being pulled apart right now. There's so much conflict and turmoil. But what I believe Paul is kind of leaning us into here is the reality that we can possess peace. There is a bond of peace 
that he's talking about here that we need to kind of understand. So first of all, Paul says that we need to make every effort. That Greek word there literally means to take care, make haste, or do our best. It's the idea of exertion and determined effort. The picture that comes along with that in, in a Greek culture of that day was actually of effort and work, uh, of the effort and work involved in a long journey. That we are to make every effort, we are actually to settle in and recognize we're on a journey here. And because of the pull of our culture and because of the pull of our own sinfulness and because of the pull of the kingdom of darkness, it's gonna take a concerted amount of effort and work to actually walk in unity and in peace in our relationships in the church, unity and peace in our homes, unity and peace in our workplaces, unity and peace in our schools, in your classrooms, wherever you are. It actually takes work, Paul says, and it's the work of a long journey. Specifically there, I, I just want you, if you even have your Bible and a pen, you can highlight this or underline it. He says, keep the unity of the Spirit. What Paul is not saying is make up unity. What he's not saying is put on a happy face. What he's not saying is fake it until you make it. What he's not saying is, you know, um, just be nice to people. There's not a gospel of nice. There is no gospel of just be nice. In the Bible, he's saying, keep the unity. There's a unity of the spirit of the, um, you know, the, the reality of the, you know, Trinity of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There is a realized reality there that is unity of the spirit. And we actually are striving, we're working, we're, we're, we're enduring effort and engaging in the process, the journey of keeping what's already there. There's total unity between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so Paul is saying we have to work or strive, take great effort to keep the unity that's available to us. We can actually possess peace in our life, but it's gonna take effort and work. And so he says, keep it. The word for keep, uh, toreo in the Greek, literally means to keep by guarding, to guard by exercising watchful care. It speaks of guarding something that's in your possession. So we're to make every effort, like we're on a long journey and it's gonna take work and it's gonna take energy and it's gonna take intentionality. We're on this long journey to actually understand how we can possess peace and keep the peace that already exists in heavenly places, in the kingdom of God. There is total peace in the kingdom of God. Uh, the apostle John was Jesus's best friend, his closest friend, the closest to Jesus of all of the disciples. The Apostle John actually wrote the book of John and 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John from Ephesus, the very city that Paul is a prisoner in, the very place that Paul is writing to now, John lived in at the same time, actually. And so John is living in this city, and he actually 
says this about our interrelationships and what Jesus had to say. 1 John 1, verse 5 to 10. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light and there's absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness, we're lying and not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Hold on here. Uh, you would think logically, based on John's train of thought here, he would say, if we're walking in the light as he is in the light, we would have fellowship with God. But actually, John is saying, if we walk in the light with God, then we actually can experience fellowship and peace and unity with one another. So the very first um, necessity for us in possessing peace and walking in peace in our life is to walk in the light and in fellowship with God. Our spiritual life must take priority. And actually walking in the light between ourselves and God is the starting place for possessing peace and unity in our homes and in our churches and in our society, in fact. Peace will never come from institutional work. Peace actually flows out of our ability to walk in the light with God. John is here expressing in this vivid language the reality that between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there are no secrets. There's no darkness. There's no hidden things. There's nothing that anyone's trying to suppress or fake or cover up. There is total light. And what John is saying is that our calling, if we want to possess peace in our life, if we want to have unity with one another, our first responsibility is to walk in total freedom and light with God. There's no secret sin. There's no stuff we're trying to hide under the rug. John is saying, look, if you want this, and Paul is saying, look, there is a unity of the Spirit available, but the cost of that unity is coming into the light with God. It's coming out of the shadows. The amazing thing of this in the gospel is this. In God's word, we're told that we receive love before we have to give it. Listen to this, 1 John 4, 9. This is John writing again. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice. Paul says in Romans 5, 8, but God proves his own love for us that in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The beauty and power of the message of the Bible, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the very thing that John is saying, Jesus came to declare, God is light and in him there is no darkness. The beauty of that is that God already knows all of the stuff you're trying to hide from him and hide from other people. God knows the ugliest, grossest, most dysfunctional parts of your life. And yet the Bible says that he loves you anyway, that he loves you 
while you were still a sinner, while you were mucking around in stuff that was destroying your life, and maybe you still are, maybe you find yourself in that spot right now. Maybe you're actually listening to this and you're thinking about what happened last night or what you did last week or what's going on in your life and you feel like God somehow is turning his face from you and he, that he can't even look at it because it's so awful. No, the Bible says that God looks and knows at our deepest things in life, the most gross, vile things in our life, and he chooses to love us. He chooses to actually pour himself out for us still while you were still a sinner. Christ died for you. This is the, the greatest news of the kingdom of God, is that God in all of his mercy and in his goodness and in his love sees us for who we really are and loves us without condition, even so. What we need to grasp and understand is that we don't have to hide. You don't have to hide anymore. God sees what's going on. He's aware of what's in your thought life. He's aware of what's going on in your heart. He's aware of that stuff that you're so ashamed of. He's aware of those things that you've done that you wish you would never done and you would desperately want to take back if you could. He's aware of all of that. And his invitation to you and I first, if we want to possess peace and unity in our life, is to actually step into the light with him. And we can trust him without fear because he already knows it all and he accepts us anyway. He actually is just waiting for you and I to step into the light with him. You don't have to hide anymore. But disunity and conflict, this raging in our soul, this like churning uneasiness that so many of us live with so much of our life, so much of our day is filled with that anxiousness and that fear and that, you know, uh, that, that conflict internally. Number one, it's caused by fear. And what we're afraid of is actually coming clean. Number one, we're afraid of coming clean in our relationship with God. And 1 John, again, this is amazing how John and living in Ephesus is writing about love and the nature of God and the nature of following him. He says, there's no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. We love because he first loved us. And John is saying, look, um, it, it's not just good enough to understand this verse. And some of you when you're filled with anxiety and fear, maybe you even quote this and that's okay and that's good. But what he's saying is, look, there's no fear in love because there's nothing to hide. You don't have to pretend with God. You don't have to be afraid that the other shoe is gonna drop and he's gonna see you for who you really are. You don't have to hide anymore. But this inner turmoil in us this disunity and this conflict, this lack of peace is driven by fear. And the greatest news of the Bible is that you don't have to hide. You can come totally to God. Every part of you, everything you've ever done and said and thought, 
and know that he actually still loves you unconditionally. But it's fear that wants to drive us into hiding, fear that wants to drive us into the dark. John was writing from Ephesus, and he was living around the same people that Paul is writing to in the book of Ephesians. And the reality was that the people there lived in great fear. They lived in fear of the spiritual realm and the demonic realm. They lived in fear of the spirits of nature. And specifically, they lived in fear of um, Artemis. And Artemis was the most powerful goddess. They had a temple built to her in Ephesus. And she was a goddess who had the power over the underworld. She had the power over the spirits of the natural world and nature. But they also believed that she had power over the astral spirits. And the astral spirits, they believed, were the spirits that held our fate. It's why today people look to horoscopes and look to palm readers and look to uh, other forms of witchcraft to try and get a clear picture of their fate and of their destiny. And the people of Ephesus who didn't know Jesus lived under this constant fear that their very fate was in the control of a precocious spiritual deity named Artemis. And so they did everything in their life to appease these uh, demons and these idols and these spirit beings. And they would orient their whole life and around uh, being afraid of that. And John is saying, we don't have to fear God. You don't have to fear fully entrusting your life to him because he sees everything. You don't have to walk around trying to please him and make him happy and, you know, worry that, you know, because you did X, Y, or Z last night or yesterday or last week or 20 years ago or 50 years ago, you don't have to worry that he's looking at that and he's just waiting to punish you. No, he's already extended his love to you through Jesus on the cross. It's that reason that that perfect love casts out all fear. The second thing that destroys our peace and creates conflict and disunity in our life is pride. Pride is a root cause of division and unsettledness, conflict and turmoil in our heart. It requires humility to actually walk in unity and in peace. Philippians 2, 6 to 8, Paul, again, says, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Jesus was God. But Paul is saying Jesus, even though he was God, he humbled himself and became like a man, assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus humbled himself, and that humility was necessary to continue to live in the light and in peace and in unity with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. There's perfect unity within the Godhead, within the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In Luke 22, uh, we have Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. And in this story, 
he says, Father, if you're willing to take this cup away from me, I don't want to have to be tortured so gruesomely that literally the bones on my back, uh, the flesh is ripped away and the bones are available. I don't want to be tortured so badly that in Isaiah says, I'm not even recognized as a man anymore. I'm so disfigured from the torture. I don't want to be tortured and suffer that way. But then he says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus humbled himself under the desire of his father and in that way continued to live in the light and in unity and in peace with God. Humility is required for us in order to live in peace because it accepts responsibility and takes ownership. Pride refuses responsibility and demands that other people take ownership and responsibility. And so we have this inner battle raging on in us because we demand that our spouse or our boyfriend or girlfriend or our coworker or our boss or our teacher or you know, our pastor or the other person in church, you just go down the list, take your pick. We demand that they take ownership and responsibility for their actions and for what they've said and that there's justice and judgment done because of what they've done in their life. We demand that they take ownership and responsibility, but we refuse to take the ownership and responsibility necessary to own our stuff. And so we live in a constant state of division and turmoil and disunity. There's no peace in our heart because we're walking in pride. Disunity and conflict are caused by, at the root of them, one of the things is pride. We need to understand that. So how do we actually walk and possess peace, possess unity that Paul is talking about? Number one, obedience. Number two, confession. Obedience and confession keep us in the light. And when we're in the light, there is unity and there is peace. There's the unity of the spirit. When we're in the light, we're acting like God would want us to act. When we're in the light, we're acting like the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit act. All right? When we're walking in obedience, we're acting like Jesus did. When we're walking in total unity and in the light, we're acting like the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit did. Number two, confession keeps us in the light. When we are not just confessional before God, we need that first, but confessional with other people, we walk in the light. James 5, 16 says this, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Again, that there may be a resolving of what's been broken, whether it's your marriage or even in your body physically or in your emotional being, whatever it is, Confess your sin to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The, the answer to our lack of peace and the answer to our division and the answer to our inner turmoil is not just to do better or try harder. It's not just to put on a brave face or smile a little more. It's not just to put up with stuff. It's actually to walk in obedience 
and confession before God and other people. Proverbs 28, 13 says this, the one who conceals his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them will find mercy. So we must be current before God and before others. That's what it means to walk in the light. And John says, when we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have peace with others. We have fellowship with others. We experience what Paul says is the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Norman Grubb in his book, Continuous Revival, says this, openness before man is the genuine proof of sincerity before God, even as righteousness before man and love to man are the genuine proofs of righteousness before God and love to God. So here's our calling today and our challenge. We must be current in our relationship with God and with others. So here's my question to you. Are you current and walking in the light with God? Or have you been walking in sin and in secrecy? Have you been trying to hide in the shadows and burying things under the surface? Have you been kind of ignoring things and just pretending like they didn't happen? Are you walking current in your relationship with God? And are you walking current in your confession to someone that you trust? Now, I'm not talking about us going on and uh, social media and on our Instagram and Snapchat and Facebook and all these things and just airing all of our dirty laundry. I'm talking about finding someone that you can trust that you know will love you in spite of all of the things that you tell them that you can be current with. I have a couple of people in my life like that. And I wanna tell you from firsthand experience, you know, it wasn't actually that long ago that um, I made a full life confessional to one of my close friends, somebody I trust. I sat down with him and over a few hours, I made like a full life confessional every detail, everything that I was so ashamed of and embarrassed of through my whole life. I just laid it all out there. And I said, here, I, I, I just want you to know this is stuff that I've been carrying for so long. This is stuff that I'm even ashamed to tell you about now. And it happened when I was 15 years old. I've been carrying the burden of this and the result of walking in darkness and not in the light is that I've had conflict in my soul and in my heart and that conflict has exploded out into my marriage and in my relationships and other things. And I said, I've, I'm current with God. I've, I'm walking in the light with God. I'm walking in daily victory. I'm, I'm walking right with God, but I need to talk to you. I need to confess my sin one to another. I need to, to actually come out from hiding this stuff and just tell you. And can I tell you that the, the net result of that experience was so much peace and freedom. I didn't even know it existed. I didn't know what it actually felt like to walk in peace, knowing that I'm fully known by God and by other people. I have nothing to hide anymore. I have nothing at all. And there's no skeletons in the closet that I'm worried are going to fall out at the wrong time. There's nothing going on in my life that I'm trying to keep under wraps or, or keep certain you know, uh, people important to me from knowing there's a few people in my life that know everything about me. 
everything I've done that I wish I didn't do, all the secrets and sin and garbage came into the light and the the result of that was peace. Like you would not even know and I'm urging you today to not only walk in peace with God but to find someone that you can let it all out for. Do a full confessional of your life and experience what it's like to walk in full peace, in full unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace like Paul is talking about. He's literally saying, look, if, as you begin to walk out the call of God in your life, before you get to the spiritual warfare part of it, before you get to living in victory uh, externally, you have to wrestle this down. You will not find sustained peace in your life by just trying harder and doing better, by trying different programs or applying different techniques. That's not a technique to peace. It's not a system and a structure that can find and you know, deliver peace to your life. It's actually walking in unity with God, fully in the light with God and fully in the light with a few people that you trust. That will actually bring you the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Paul goes on to say, we have one body. That's the whole church. It's not just our own churches. That's actually the whole body of Christ all over the world. And the question is, do you honor all of the different parts of the body? Or do you criticize different parts of the church because they're different than you and they have a different function. There's so much beauty when the whole body gets together and when we honor the different parts of the body and understand that all of our churches and all of us actually bring something unique to the picture that's necessary and required. So there's one body, there's one spirit. And it's through this Holy Spirit that Paul says in Ephesians that we have direct access to God because of what Jesus did on the cross. We have direct access to the King of Kings, the maker of the heavens and the earth. The question that we need to ask is, do we actually rely on the Holy Spirit? Or do you spend all of your time searching your horoscopes or going to get your palms read or reading tarot cards or, you know, uh, going to a, a medium for, you know, uh, to, to conjure up the spirits of the dead, which are just demons, by the way, anyway? Do you actually rely on the work of the Holy Spirit or are you actually turning to uh, the lust of the flesh? Is alcohol filling? that work of the Spirit place in your life, the, the actual strength that the Holy Spirit wants to give you for life? Are you turning to alcohol, just drinking every night on the side, even if nobody knows about it, or maybe sex or other relationships? Maybe you're a teenager and you're turning to your boyfriend or girlfriend to give you validation and purpose and meaning in your life, or maybe your job defines that, or finances, and Paul is saying, look, there's one Holy Spirit who literally gives you divine access to the throne room of God, to the very presence of God, to the Father who is over all and in all and through all. And yet so much of our life is lived going everywhere else. 
We want everyone else's wisdom, but not the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. We want to know what everybody else has to say, but not what God has to say through his Holy Spirit. Do you actually rely on the Holy Spirit to give you counsel and wisdom and revelation and strength and peace and hope? Or are you turning to everything but? What would actually this last two weeks of your life reveal about that question? He goes on to say, we have one hope and one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Again, he's bringing the whole Trinity into preview here, into our, into our periphery. And I think he's asking us again, he's just reassessing where is your hope? There's only one place that is adequate to place our hope. Where do you realize that there's one Lord? There's only one way to heaven. There's not many ways, not many roads, not whatever I choose, I choose, and whatever you choose is good for you. We all end up at the same spot anyway. The Bible is so clear. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God except through me. Have you reconciled and wrestled with that? Or are you taking a little bit from here and there? And he says, there's one faith. What, what do you put your faith in today? Do you put it in the government? Do you put it in social reform? Do you put it in political parties? What do you put your faith in? Are you putting it in humanity? As we're seeing, that's a bit of a, a disaster. <laughs> There's one place we can put our faith and there's one baptism. This word is the only one that's transliterated right from the Greek, but actually in the Greek, it means one placed into. You've been, as Paul is saying, you've been immersed into the life of Christ. It was common practice in the early church that when they would actually go into the waters of baptism, the, the rite or the ritual of baptism, that they would actually renounce their ties and their agreements and covenants to all of these gods and idols that they worshiped and trusted and relied on and claim total allegiance to God. And oftentimes that actually became an, uh, a service where people were delivered from demonic spirits right in the baptismal area, in the river, or you know whatever they used back then. That they actually, God is calling us to be fully invested. No turning back. Jesus said, if you wanna be my disciple, you must deny yourself and take up your cross daily and follow me. If you want to save your life, you will lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, then you will save it. What good is it for us to gain the whole world yet forfeit or lose our very self? This is the life that Jesus is calling us to. So the question we have as we close here, is are you ready to come out of hiding? If you wanna possess peace in your life, if you really do wanna possess peace, you have to come clean with God and you have to come clean and confess to others. That's the beginning place. And Paul is saying like, look, you've been made for a powerful purpose, designed by God for a unique purpose, but you've gotta get this part down first or else you will not have effectiveness in spiritual warfare and actually standing in the promises and the plan of God for your life. So are you ready to come out of hiding? 
Are you ready to actually come into the light with God? He loves you. He already knows everything going on. He loves you anyway, and he's actually waiting for you today to do that. Let's just pray. Father, we want to know what it's like to possess peace in our life, live in unity with you, but also unity in our homes and unity in our churches and unity in our streets and in our schools and in our civic buildings. We want to know what it's like to walk in unity and peace. And so for our part, God, we just invite you to search us and examine our hearts. And your word says that, um, that daily we can come to you and invite you to search us and test us and know us. Search us for anything that has offended you or grieved you or any area where there, we're tempted to run into hiding or to walk in darkness or sin. Father, I pray that even right now, Holy Spirit, that you can, would convict everyone under the sound of my voice if there's anything going on in their life, any area of darkness that they're tempted to, to be turning into, Father, I pray that you would just encourage them to walk into the light. And secondly, Father, if they have uh, someone, I just ask that you'd bring even to mind somebody that they can trust to begin to walk in the light with other people in. Jesus, we trust you. We love you. We thank you for loving us first while we were still sinners. You died for us. We praise you for that, Father. Teach us to walk in the light with God and with others, and in so doing, to possess true peace in our whole life, in our marriages, our families, our churches, and everywhere else. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to know if you have not experienced uh, that kind of relationship or don't have someone that you can be honest with, I, I want you to email me. My Email address is andrew at mp, as in Mountain Park, mp.church. And I would love to journey with you. There is profound power in walking in the light with God and with others. And if you don't have someone in your life right now you can do that with, email me. I'll get back to you and we can start a conversation. Have an amazing uh, rest of your week, rest of your day. It's been a pleasure to be with you. Take care. We hope that you are challenged and inspired by what you heard today and that you're willing to allow God to work in and through your life in bigger ways this week. We'd love to stay connected with you on social media, facebook.com slash mountainparkchurch and instagram.com slash mountainparkchurch. Finally, if you have a story of how God has been working in and through you, we'd love to hear it. Just email us at mystory@mp.church and tell us how God has been working in your life lately.